You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, thank you for giving us another week to gather uh, on our journey on this earth to hear your word, uh, to take your sacraments, uh, to remember what you've done for us in Christ. Pray that you grant us uh, careful thought as we as we wade into these um, these territories of, um, of people that don't always agree with, with what we profess, but yet we know they're they're made in, in your image um, and to your purposes um, uh, along with us. And, we ask for mercy this day and for the, the week ahead with each need in this room. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, good morning and, and thanks. This is the wrap-up of um, a really easy, easy topic, Islam and Greek philosophy and Christianity. So I thought we got 50 minutes and he will be certifi- certified. <laughs> we have certificates at the end. So um, again, I, I, I've started with the same lame joke every week. It's I just I don't know how this ended up being a Christmas message, but it did, and I think it is. The more uh, you know, once you sort of we peel back the happy, sentimental stuff that we enjoy, um, I think is actually the substance and heart of the Christian message. Um, what do we profess? And then we continue. We we live constantly in this world of collision of ideas. Uh, at minimum, we see it in the evening on the evening news. If you bought, if you can make it through half an hour, uh, at minimum. But you, all, you, you, we see it in the cultural struggles of our day, the last half century or so, that um, aren't abiding by by any means. Uh, in my world, uh, education, uh, higher education, in the universities, it's particularly pointed. Uh, you know, how do you make a value judgment amongst competing ideas? Uh, and those of you who have kids and grandkids know exactly what I'm talking about, or you might encounter it in the marketplace yourself. Um, point is, is that if you know, uh, we we have a profession of faith that uh, that that often just seems like one more choice amongst um, many, and in some sense it is uh, to to be to be perfectly um, fair. Uh, but part of what sort of Gil and I have been wrestling with in terms of this series is, you know, well, how do we talk about that at Advent? How do, how do we talk about that? Um, and, the, and the two areas that, that set this, this off in my thinking were, were Greek philosophy, which I know, I know is at the tip of your thoughts every day, um, and Islam, which is right up there as well, right? Uh, Islam's a little more in the news than Greek philosophy. Uh, but um, I, think, I think it's okay to start with uh, Greek philosophy, in particular the, the paradigmatic figure of Socrates, because I think he, he's a type or a pattern. And, and that's what I want to do today is sort of rehearse what I mean by that. And I want a re- kind of a summary of what I think the issues are there. Same with Islam. And then I'd like us to look at some scripture uh, uh, for a topic that demands much more time than, than I'm able to give here. But um, so again, Socrates as a type. Um, what, what do I mean by that? I mean that what, what Socrates we all we all know roughly who I'm talking about. Here he is, uh, hopefully pointing up at the heavens as he as he prepares to take his his hemlock, 
he, he is a martyr uh, for truth in many people's imagination. He's not a fictional person. He, uh, he, he lived in 5th century Athens, B.C., which was a time of uh, great cultural flourishing after, the beat, after, the, after licking the Persians uh, a few, few decades earlier. Not literally licking, I meant beating him in war. So I just, you had to be careful with the, the microphones on. Um, but the, uh, the, uh, he, um, uh, he's considered the father of Western thought, the father of the love of wisdom. And Socrates is, uh, we only know him through Plato's writings and a couple of others, but what we, what we really know him for is he, he, he said something that's true. He said something that was real. That, that resonates with it. He said wisdom, the love of wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom is really about how to be a good person, how to be a moral person, how to be an ethical person. And he took on his contemporaries in that regard. He said, well, you know, what is education? What is wisdom? It's learning how to fight. It's learning how to beat the other uh, in the marketplace or in, or in the courtroom. Um, you know, and, and Socrates says, no, that's technique. That's something else. Wisdom is different. Wisdom is about learning virtue, uh, the, the philosophia, the love of wisdom. Uh, for for Socrates, in doing so, he sets a pattern. He sets a tradition that we still live with today, that the pursuit of knowledge, uh, the pursuit of wisdom is ultimately an ethical quest, and that we as rational people, that's the job of educating our children and and uh, and becoming good citizens is to aspire to that as as much as we can and and that's why I pick him as a type because that's us <laughs> that's us that that's what we believe Socrates of what what I what I would want us to remember about him though and his disciples Plato and then Plato's disciple Aristotle is that this location of wisdom is purely come on in it's a purely rational pursuit it's pure it's the life of the mind rightly ordered to the right ends okay you you train somebody correctly they will come to see what the good the true the beautiful are at least some will (laughs) others won't but the goal then of education and the goal in pursuit of wisdom is to is to do that to the best of our ability and this internal component of human nature uh, uh, allows us uh, to aspire to these uh, these great truths that some things are just simply better and more true than others. How do we know this? Uh, because everything here, says Socrates, is a reflection of a greater good. Something almost heavenly. There's this perfect order to the universe that we're participating in. We're just at a lesser stage of it. Should sound kind of familiar to us. A shadow. Paul says we look through a glass darkly. Much later, he says this than Socrates. Socrates probably would have really listened to that. Uh, he probably would have nodded and said, yes, yes, I, I thought of that first. You know? <laughs> but, of course, the difference is Paul says there's an object to what we're looking at through the glass darkly. The object is Christ. So the, the difference that I would, I would want us to um, appreciate is that uh, Christianity and the, and, the, and the Western quest for truth and knowledge have a lot of overlap, a lot of interaction, m- much more complicated than we can you know, take on this morning. But the substantial difference is what's the object of wisdom? What's the object of that truth? 
Socrates said it's an aha moment. You just you train the children right, you train the uh, college kids right, uh, they'll get it. It may take a long time. The ones who don't, you you know, you, you put them in the army or whatever. But <laughs> but the, the other, we'll get them to we'll, get, well they'll be our rulers. They'll be the the great, and we'll build institutions to train them, like Harvard and Yale and Princeton, and, and they, these will be our cream of the crop, and we'll turn them into our our great Supreme Court justices and presidents, and they'll know the truth. Um, should sound familiar. Uh, that the question is, does truth have a, a physical incarnational object? And the answer is no. And that's that's what I would say is the great difference between the philosophical pursuit of wisdom. Um, another course and another time, we 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 might want to pick up August Saint Augustine, who really develops Paul's thinking on this. And and he he says, you know, what 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 the Greeks are missing. What they're missing is the problem of the will. They've got the, they've, they've collapsed the intellect and the soul together in a way that misses uh, sin, and that sin itself can distort how we use reason. It doesn't mean we use it incorrectly any more than we use our hearing or our sight, or, or you know our speech incorrectly, uh, but it but it can be used incorrectly. It can be used in a way that misses the truth or elevates the self as the arbiter of that truth. Um, and that is the scary sort of uh, part of, of philosophy that Augustine takes on. And he takes Socrates on. Paul does as well. Um, St. Paul does. Um, but but that, that's the question, is what is the object of wisdom and, and truth and, and how do you get at it? And that's tied to how Socrates approached death. That's tied to how he, he approached death. And that's the, the first lesson, just in summary, is what we I talked about, is Socrates approached death two ways. I, I, it, it is, it's, it's a famous passage from what's called the Apology of Plato, the defense of Socrates, the Apology, uh, where he was put on trial for corrupting the youth with his teaching. Um, and he was he was subsequently executed by having to drink uh, poison. Um, in in doing so, he's he's become something of a martyr for the pursuit of truth. In in history, you know, this this man died, an innocent man died at the hands of corrupt officials because he dared to question authority in the in the world around him. But as he as he approached death, uh, he said, "Death is two things. It's one of two things." Um, it's either nothing, like sleep, uh, like he calls it a dreamless sleep. <laughs> it's got to be dreamless, you know. Or it's a great adventure, where you're going to like run into everybody that's already died, and you get to go talk to them more, which he loved to do. He wouldn't shut up, actually. That's why he's being killed. <laughs> so, um, so it's one of those two things, says Socrates. And he paints a He famously was excited to go. He wanted to see what was on the other side, um, and um, and once again, I, I I think yeah, you know, I can relate. I, I think there's part of uh, the Christian faith that agrees with uh, Socrates on that point. Uh, the Bible refers to death as sleep in a number of places, but there's a substantial difference that I hope we can cover by the end of the of the class. So wisdom and death are related for Socrates in that 
uh, it, it's almost like it's an intellectual adventure on the other side where the soul takes off, uh, you know, for another great um, class of philosophy 101 uh, for Socrates. Um, and I, I offer a quote from a contemporary, J.K. Rowling, um, who wrote the Harry Potter series. Uh, she says, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. I, I can't think of a more Socratic phrase than that, and, and it just echoes in the West. You know, if, if there's nothing to fear, if you've lived wisely, if you've behaved correctly, and if you've, you've ordered your thoughts in an organized way, um, Immediately, the contrast I would draw is with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, that is not um, the approach he took to death. Uh, death was serious. I'm not saying it wasn't serious, but death was not a great adventure, nor was it a speculative cause. He understood as God, as the incarnate God, that he was uh, going to be ripped apart from truth uh, for a time, that his soul was going to be divided uh, from his father. And he begged, uh, he begged to not have to go through it. Um, that, that, should, that should alarm us when we compare these traditions. Uh, we, sh we, should, we should pause and ask, what, what does that mean? Uh, that the God-man, uh, the incarnate God uh, understood what we can't really knock Socrates too bad. I mean, he's just a man like 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 a person like us. Uh, but but it's a contrast worth noting uh, that that death is bad. It's bad. It's the reason Christ came, as I hope we'll see. Uh, it's the reason for the season we're in. <coughs> Uh, because it is something that is to be loathed. Maybe not feared, but loathed uh, as a Christian. It's something to constantly uh, be despised as antithetical to how we were intended to be, which was in fellowship with God. Christ in Gethsemane is, I don't have a, I don't have a picture, but Christ in Gethsemane is the exact opposite of this painting. In many ways, if you can mentally try to conjure a picture in your mind of that horrible, those horrible hours uh, before the soldiers took him, it's the antithesis of this. In saying that, I, I don't want to prop this guy up as the bad guy. <laughs> that's not what I mean. Um, uh, that's not what I mean at all. He did not live under the revelation of Christianity or Judaism, for that matter. And what we really have from him is a, a wonderful inheritance of, of of what education should be, you know, what, what education is. Arguably, it's an incomplete picture. It's an incomplete picture that, that, um, that I believe with Augustine, uh, Christianity helps complete, that the object and the end of death and wisdom is the work and life of Christ uh, as our hope. Um, so uh, that, that was Socrates. Um, 
the other, and that's and that's what I would call is the pattern or the type of Greek philosophy. Again, I know you don't live every day thinking, you know, geez, what did Plato and Aristotle think about this? I'm glad you don't. You, it's not fun. Um, but you do live every day in a world and a universe that has inherited this understanding of wisdom and death. Uh, you do live in a world where uh, that's one of the vendors in the marketplace of ideas, that these things work. And you do live in a world where uh, people try to find peace in that. Um, and I do think as, as Christians it's okay to step back and say, well, what does this mean ultimately? Um, and how can, we, how can we learn from it? The second, uh, the second um, field of inquiry is Islam. Uh, another, uh, another uh, approach to death and wisdom um, and truth, uh, totally different from philosophy, in the sense that it is a monotheistic religion. Um, it, it is, uh, of course, we associate it with Arabia and Mecca. Medina or Yatrib, the two great cities uh, where Muhammad uh, trekked. I gave a little background on Muhammad, uh, and I'm happy to, in Q&A, do that again. But uh, just to, just to kind of get us uh, to a point of contrast, again, comparison and contrast. Um, shockingly, if you ever look at the Quran, uh, if you, if you, you in, when I have students do this, this is the it's always the first sort of line of questioning we enter into. Lots of references to things you would be familiar with. Noah, Adam, Moses, uh, the prophets, Jesus, um, Mary. Uh, all over the Quran, you will see uh, references to uh, what we would call Bible stories. <laughs> now, they're not always in line with what we read in the Bible. But the figures are there, um, and a lot of effort has gone into you know why this, why that. They're part of the prophetic tradition of Islam, uh, of the series of prophecies that were given Muhammad between 610, um, when he received his first vision um, on. Uh, 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 I can find my arrow. Um, that, that's um, Mecca, and. Um, well, uh, on on that mountain back there, uh, that's where he, he received his his his, his first uh, visions. Um, there we go. Um, and if you uh, that that's modern Mecca, and you can see how how it's structured, um, and it's built around this. Um, um, yeah, we'll leave it there <laughs> uh, for the moment. Um, uh, it, it, the difference between um, let's see if I can go back. Um, that's the mountain where he received his vision. The uh, these visions contain these prophecies contain a lot of biblical images and stories in them. They they do not line up completely with our stories, but Part of what they, there is overlap. It is a monotheistic religion. It is a religion that believes that the soul enters into a state after death. 
Uh, it is not a fun way that the soul does this, as I tried to tell us last week. It is actually, in hard detail, torn from the body. Uh, you are visited by two angels um, uh, at, at the moment of death who show you heaven and hell, uh, for lack of a better They have different words for it. Um, it is a, it, the, the soul actually at death and the body are, uh, are temporarily reunited so you can visit and see what awaits you. Um, and, of course, uh, it's a very painful process that, that's described in the tradition. The Quran doesn't outline this so much as the tradition does. Um, that how, what the punishment can look like. The only way you can really ex- escape uh, this, this intermediate state of, of conflict is, um, is to die a martyr. And then, and then the paradise you will receive is, is what we call the Garden of Eden. You'll be restored to a paradise like Eden that is um, full of sentient type pleasures. Uh, that 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 are you know we would just call our appetites that would be satisfied, right? Um, their spirits do not. The martyr spirit does not return to the corpse. They they go straight to this this paradise. Other spirits enter into what's called um, barzak. Um, uh, barzak. Those are the two angels from a manuscript. Um, they look pretty. Like nice angels there. The, the description has them. They have big teeth and they're blue. They, they sound pretty horrible, actually. Uh, Barzak is a um, is this intermediate state that the soul enters into in Islam, where awaiting the resurrection. Okay, awaiting the resurrection. Um, and this is the day of judgment. Uh, so this should sound familiar also uh, in our our theological world. The soul enters into this uh, intermediate state awaiting the day of judgment after it has been shown these, these possibilities. Again, if you haven't died a martyr, you can do nothing at this point but wait. <coughs> the entire judgment will be based upon how you have lived in relation to the, the teachings of the prophet or the keeping of the law. All right, The, the keeping of Sharia. That is how you will be judged is based upon uh, your deeds. Now, again, we have to pause because Christianity has an analog with that. But it's not the same, as I hope to show uh, by, by the end of this. Um, uh, the per- your faith, whether it was good faith or bad faith, did you follow the teachings of Islam? Did you follow the prophet or not? That is, where, that is what will decide your eternal uh, future. Death is inevitable for the Muslim. Uh, okay, that, that's good. Um, death appro- I'm just from the Quran. Death approaches sinners and disbelievers. They sense the upcoming chastisement. You pray to God to go back to life to do some good deeds, but you're not going to be granted that. That's from um, um, uh, the Quran, um, the 23rd revelation. Uh, uh, the most frequent verse quoted from the Quran is every soul shall taste death and only one and only on the day of judgment will you be paid your full recompense. Um, at another place in, in uh, the third revelation, the Quran urges that you do not die except in a state of Islam. 
true religion in the sight of Allah is Islam. Um, he, Allah, who created death and life so that he may test you as to which of you is better in your deeds. He is almighty and most forgiving. Uh, these are all uh, passages that are often uh, cited out of the Quran, along with many other. Kind of vague. It takes a, It's really the tradition, the interpretive tradition that picks up and develops it, like ours in some ways. Um, the key here, and what I want to draw to our attention, is um, wisdom is law in Islam. Wisdom is law. It is, it is living Sharia. It is living the good life according to the revelations of Muhammad. Your, your entire existence and your entire being is judged in relationship to how you've appropriated it in your life. Okay? What's not there is an intermediary. There is no incarnation. In Islamic teaching, Christ... Wrong word. <laughs> Jesus, in the Islamic tradition, is a prophet. Okay? Who, unfortunately, we Christians turned into a god. And that's, that's why Muhammad had to, to come and receive these revelations, is to correct uh, both the Jewish misappropriation of Israel and the Christian uh, uh, elevation of Jesus to the status of a god. And that is, uh, that is that, so it's important to note that when we talk about death in Islam, there is no, uh, there is no understanding of mediating grace. Uh, of someone standing uh, uh, between you and God's judgment. Uh, God's judgment is not read or mediated or understood through the blood or atonement of his sacrifice. <coughs> it is um, it's an immediate relationship between your work, your deeds, and his, his judgment, Allah's judgment. Um, as, I, as I said last week, if you were to press me, this is the key and central difference between Christianity and, and Islam. There are a lot of others, but this is the big one, is the, the absence of atonement. Humans are sinless. There's, the concept of sin is not tied to our being, right? It's not tied to something that's, that, that's inside of us. It's always the freedom to choose in front of us, okay? That's a lot, uh, and and I don't know how happy or sad you are at the moment, but uh, for hearing all this. But but I want to pause for just questions or thoughts before I want to look at two biblical sort of responses to this uh, this teaching. Yes, sir. So how can there be mercy? Yeah. How can Allah have mercy if it's based on? Yeah. The the mercy of Allah is is completely within uh, the will of Allah. So the will of Allah has been revealed, revealed through the prophet. So if you have lived according to that, you will receive mercy. Um, but it's, it's, it's completely tied to the being and, and arbitrary will of Allah. They, I think I think our Muslim friends would say it's not arbitrary, but um, 
That's the, that's where mercy is. It's it's in the being of Allah and the judgment of Allah. Do normal people of Islam when they die and they are now judged good, let's say, through yeah. that process, do they go where the martyrs go or yeah. the martyrs gone? At the resurrection, they will be allowed into paradise. So there is a belief in a resurrection, okay? And Sir, of who? Of the of the believer, of of the faithful the believer, of the individual. Yes, they have an understanding of resurrection, which I want to speak more of, in, out of our tradition as a contrast. Yes, sir. Matt. Fall last week. It seems that one of the strengths of Islam, perhaps even in comparison to the way Christianity is often applied, yeah, is that moral stability. Yeah, oh, absolutely. One of the yeah. things we have to wrestle with yeah. is for all of our talk about grace, if we can't provide a consistent avenue to virtue, yeah. that it does seem that either... It's a good observation. You know, the, yeah. the, the Greek approach on one hand or the Islamic yeah. approach on the other is going to be able to step in and fill that gap if we're not careful. That, that, that isn't, isn't that the great, the great struggle in, in Christian, historically in Christianity is how do we... How do how do how do faith and virtue work together, right? And 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 our sanctification, etc. Um, yeah. I, um, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. How does Islam handle the concept of the will? Yeah. More on the free will side or the bondage of the will side? There is no bondage of the will. Okay. So the concept of sin is not ontological to use a horrible big word on a Sunday morning it's not in our being okay so Christianity holds that sin is comprehensive it cha- it is it changed our status of freedom that post lapse post after the fall our choice is no longer free as it was prior to the fall into sin okay that's the Christian teaching so our freedom is broken so to speak and it has to be healed. It's depravity is a word we use in historically, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Islam has no concept of that. Sin is simply not doing the will of Allah. This is Jesus on the cross. Uh, this is uh, from um, um, Velazquez. It's in Madrid. Um, uh, this this is a starting point. Uh, uh, for our understanding of of suffering, of atonement, of sacrifice. Um, here is a, another one by Caravaggio, um, the entombment of of Christ. These are all Baroque um, Renaissance paintings, late Renaissance, mid-Renaissance paintings. Um, Jesus is always a little more muscular. <laughs> Most of these patterns were taken from Greek uh, statues who tended to be really uh, muscular. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a little GQ quality. Uh, <laughs> and there's the famous Pieta. We have a concept of suffering and death, of course, in, in Christianity um, that I would argue is the, the center of Christ's work, it is, 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 the, is the conflict and confrontation with this, this death. And we have a concept of resurrection. Uh, Michelangelo uh, is Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel. Again, another very 
buff Jesus um, and Mary looking on the righteous. Here are the damned. Here are the martyrs with their implements holding him up uh, to Christ. I don't know. Images are good. I I guess that's why I'm Episcopalian. I don't mind them. Um, They help, (laughs) I think, in places. But I think uh, to really get at it, we need to go to the... We need to go to the text. We need to go. We need to go to uh, Paul. If if we really want to understand the difference in what we profess, and there are many, many, many places we could we could go, but I calculated we'd have about ten minutes left. So, um, <laughs> First Corinthians. Uh, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Past tense. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been, past tense, raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in this order. Christ is the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. Then delivering the kingdom, etc. What a... I want us to, to focus on, in this passage, um, first Paul is addressing believers here. He's not addressing unbelievers. He's talking to the church, and he's saying, pay attention. Listen to me. You're sleepy. Got a lot going on with the holidays. <laughs> I know, says Paul. <laughs> but this is the center of it all. This is the reason for the incarnation. See, to understand the Christian teaching on wisdom and resurrection is to understand first that we are in Adam. We are in flesh. We are in the flesh. We are in a condition of fallenness that actually, according to Matthew 5, is more than just behavior, right? Looking at someone lustfully or greedily or angrily. All the, you know, Christ just, he rips the behavior part and says, no, 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 it's much more serious than you realize. Because then we're all like, hmm, oops, <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. Um, and then uh, what Paul is, is trying to show us, and, and the verbs here are really important. Uh, the, the metaphor is one of agriculture. It's a harvest. The first gathering of that harvest has happened in the second Adam. And the work of Christ in, in, on the cross and in his resurrection 
you have already been raised. He is present with God as the beginning of what is already yours. Your death is already settled in the court of heaven. And if he hasn't done that, we might as well go home, is what Paul's telling us. There's some good football on. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But you get my point, right? I don't want to get off track here. <laughs> so I, that's what I want us to see first in response to both abstract philosophy and Islam. That the, if we're talking about virtue, the first place to look is the work of Christ. What has Christ said about us? What is Paul teaching us? What, is he, what are they calling us to see? That you have an intermediary. <laughs> you had to have an intermediary. The intermediary is God himself. That's the first thing. Uh, that, that, then I, want, I want to take one more look at Ephesians. Just to drive home this point. To try to conceptually deal with these competing worldviews. And you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in you, in the sons of, I'm sorry, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh and uh, in the nature of wrath that we incurred. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Death is not simply a physical condition. The second point I would make. We were dead. We were dead. Um, even when in these trespasses we were made alive together in Christ, uh, made alive past tense by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated seated past tense not you are going to be seated you are today seated that that's the greek is past tense as well trust me uh with you are seated with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. For by grace you have been saved, past tense. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. It's the most direct answer, at least, to the Islamic challenge uh, to Christianity that I, that I believe we have in Scripture. And the key here is, and what I want you to take away from this series is that verb. He is seated. You, you, you're alive and sentient though you are, are seated with him as the first fruits, as the one who has gone before you and made your death possible in a way that you do not have to go through Gethsemane as he did. You, do, you never have to fear what Christ himself had to fear, which was separation, even for a moment, from a truth, from permanent, real truth. It's settled. And that is my answer. That's the Bible's answer, not mine. That's the best I can get at it in the time we have. Any questions or thoughts?
Well, have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.